You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to Luke chapter 2. We'll be there again this week. As I was processing uh, joy um, and Christmas and Advent, I was reminded of one of the most joy-filled memories that I have um, during the Christmas season. And I wanted to ask, when you think about Christmas, I know there can be maybe some heaviness that comes with the season, but when you think back, what are some of your best memories when you think about the Christmas season? I remember when uh, I had to been no older than six years old, and my brother and I, we were living with our mom at the time, and we didn't have a lot of traditions growing up, but there was one that she left us with, and it was, um, we got to come out Christmas Eve to the tree, and it wasn't staged, she hadn't planned, pre-planned for this, Uh, there had been some presents that were wrapped, and she would let us pick one present from under the tree and open it Christmas Eve. And I remember being six years old and being so excited, and you just hope that you're going to pick the right present. And we picked the right present that year. And it was this Spider-Man silly string contraption that we could, like, strap onto our wrist. And Christmas Eve, the house was not only decorated with lights, it was decorated with silly string, and it was everywhere. And I remember going to bed that night, and I'm like, if Santa brought this on Christmas Eve, imagine what he's going to bring tomorrow. And I remember going to bed with the anticipation of so much joy as a six-year-old. And I just, now that I've gotten older, I've, I've recognized in my own life, at least, that joy isn't something that we as human beings experience consistently. It's more, when we, when we encounter joy, would you agree with me that it's more of an interruption of our lives now, rather than a, a main theme or a consistent characteristic of our lives? Joy is now an interruption. And as I was processing this, I was thinking about how I know that joy doesn't come naturally for us anymore. And one of the reasons is, have you ever heard someone say, wow, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? You laugh because maybe that was you a lot. Um, just playing. I was processing the reality that we don't need a reason to wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Amen? We don't. We, sometimes we just wake up and we're that way. Didn't need a reason at all. But we need multiple reasons to wake up on the right side of the bed. We have to have a reason to wake up on the right side of the bed. If we're going to wake up and be in a joy-filled mood and be happy and be excited, there's got to be a reason. No one just wakes up like that. And as I was processing this even further, I'm like, okay, I'm trying to prove to myself that I'm wrong, that joy isn't an interruption. I experience it a lot. So then I'm thinking about the people that I experience on a day-to-day basis who embody the most joy. Do you have anybody like that in your life? Do you have anybody, when you think about the word joy, you're like, yeah, that's them. That's just who they are. Um, it's not people in my like, immediate life. It's usually strangers that I'll experience this with. Um, I know. My wife, my wife is the most joyful person you'll ever meet, every good husband said. Um, so for me, ever since a young age, I experienced so much joy when I would go to Costco. And I know we've got some dividing lines, right? We've got Sam's Club. We'll pray for you. We've got Costco. But when you go to Costco, they give you samples. I don't know what happens in Sam's Club. I've never been. I don't ever plan on going. Um, I'm joking. When you go to Costco, there are these people, usually in my experience, 
who are so fired up for you to try their sample. And I remember, has anybody ever heard of the Zip Fizz drink? It's like that energy drink. I had this lady, she would be shaking up a Zip Fizz bottle for me, and she's like, oh, got your favorite, orange cream. I'm just like, who is this? And I remember, I was, she has so much joy. And then you experience the opposite. You experience the opposite. And who are the people in your life that you, you know that they just, they're the most unhappy people when you encounter them? Now y'all are thinking about your immediate family. Don't go there. In, uh, where I grew up in California, we called it the DMV. It's where you go to get your license or your registration. And I'm like, not only did I wait three hours and get here early, but now I have to encounter your presence. And you are clearly not happy about your job. Please do us all a favor and just leave, just quit, because obviously you're miserable. And this is what really gets me. There are some people who walk around and they are offended by the people they encounter that embody joy. Have you, have you ever met someone like that? Oh, oh, they're just too happy. Is there such a thing, really? They're just too happy. They're happy all the time. Honestly, it's annoying. I don't wanna go to their Christmas party. And, 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 and honestly, they're probably faking it, right? So when we encounter Joe, we're like, hey, it's probably not real because it's such an interruption in our life that even when we encounter, like, hey, it must be fake. They must have something else going on that they're compensating for. And if we're not careful, what can happen is we can grow cold in our lives and we can grow so discontent with our current situation that it'll start to overflow into our very being. And did you know that psychologists are now saying that we as human beings, this is what we do, we procrastinate going to bed because we aren't excited about the future. We procrastinate going to bed because we're not excited about the future. And I'm gonna tell you how this shows up in our life. You're like, not me, like I can't wait to go to bed. Okay, what do you, what do you bring into the bed with you? Your cell phone? And then what do you do for two more hours after you decided to go to bed? You scroll on your phone? Why? Oh, I'm just catching up with all my friends. No, you're not. I have this fear of missing out. I just wanna see what's going on in, in, in so-and-so's life. No, you don't. Or we come home and we sit in front of the TV and we grab our favorite drink or whatever it is and Sometimes, even if we're not careful, we fall asleep in front of the TV. Why? Oh, because it was just such a hard day. No, it was. It, it might have been, but that's not why. It's because when we go to bed at night, we procrastinate actually falling asleep because there's no joy and excitement for us the next morning. This is what psychologists say are happening. There's no joy or excitement and so we procrastinate the reality of a new day. To me, that's a problem. And I can't say that I haven't been there myself. Is that you this morning? Do you feel like your passion for life has grown cold? Do you feel like you have a hard time believing you have any real purpose? Are there times 
that you truly feel like your calling and your life is insignificant? Are you questioning your worth? There are some people in the scriptures this Advent season, this Christmas season, that can relate to that story if that's your story. In Luke chapter two, if you turn there in your Bibles, we're gonna start in verse eight and we're gonna look together and we're gonna unpack the fact that the seemingly most insignificant people in the world with one of the worst jobs you could ever imagine, worse than the DMV, who were looked down upon and disrespected probably more than anyone else in their society and culture, were entrusted with the greatest news the world could ever and would ever receive. And that good news, this is what it did. It completely changed their life. It showed them their worth. It gave them new purpose. And that same message can have that same effect in our life today. Amen? Amen. Let's read together Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And we're going to continue on through verse 20. Here we go. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Not just you, for all the people. What's that news? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior of the world. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God as if it wasn't terrifying enough, right? We've got a great company now that arrives. And they say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. We covered that last weekend. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, they said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. They couldn't contain it. They had to share it. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. There was this good news that caused great joy. Okay, so we've got some things to unpack here some things to cover. The first thing that I wanna reiterate to all of us is absolutely no one woke up and said, when I grow up, I want to be a shepherd. No one. As a matter of fact, when you look closely at the scriptures, you see that this was a job that was usually left for the youngest child. And how do we know this? Even, even David, when he was being anointed as king, he wasn't present. Where was he? He was with the sheep, 
He was doing his job as a young boy, as the youngest, in shepherding his flock. And so the question that I ask, and this is a very unconventional Advent message, this is a very different perspective, but I want to ask, why did God entrust his gospel message to the shepherds? Because I think we have some things to learn from the shepherds that can actually help us with a lack of joy that we might be experiencing in our present reality. Why would God entrust his message to the shepherds? And here's the first word that comes to mind. It's because God knew that the shepherds were faithful. And I'm gonna unpack this, and I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna prove it to everybody. God knew that the shepherds were faithful. The shepherds were fiercely faithful to their sheep. When the angel showed up to these shepherds, they were doing exactly what it was that God had called them to do. They were lying in the fields, keeping watch over their flock. And as I was processing this, and I was even reflecting on my own life, I was writing in my notes, I was like, maybe God hasn't shown up in our life recently because we haven't taken seriously what he's called us to in this current moment. Last week I said, when we get busy looking in the future, it can bring anxiety into the present. And a lot of times, if I'm not careful, I can think about what God has called me to in the future and I completely miss out on what he's already called me to in the present. And I can think that I'm so ready to move on from what he's called me to in the present when in reality, what I don't realize, <laughs> it's a loud ringer. <laughs> What I don't realize is that if I would have moved on from what he actually called me to in the present, it would have killed me in the future because I wasn't ready for it. And so what God is doing in this season, in your life, in my life, in our life, is he's teaching us how to be faithful to what it is that he's called us to. And the shepherds were faithful to what it is that God had called them to. I remember it was five years ago, and it was uh, a, a guy by the name of Stephen Furtick, and I remember I used to put his message on, on YouTube. It was like a, a motivational talk for me, and this was five years ago, so don't judge me today, okay? But he shared this message, and, he, and it was titled, Let the Dirt Do Its Work. Let the Dirt Do Its Work. And I couldn't help but think about the shepherds and how they were so faithful to what God had called them to. And a lot of times we want to just get out of the dirt. It's not fun in the dirt. It can be lonely in the dirt. It can be tiresome in the dirt. I can be misunderstood in the dirt. But the dirt has to do its work. It has to. And this is what happens in the dirt. We learn a spirit of humility. We're stripped of all we thought that mattered so that we can see what actually truly does matter. And how do we learn that? It's through the fire. How is gold refined? It's through the fire. 
It has to be tested. I was even processing my generation. You know, we really don't know what a career is. Did you know that? That's a thing of the past for my generation and younger. And if you're not careful, you will encounter some people who they get a new career every two years. That's not a career, by the way. And this is when it's bad, when we're caught just looking at what, what the next best shiny thing is. Because we don't learn what we need to learn in a season when we're in the dirt, when we're, when we're in the grit, when we're in the hard times, when we're going through a trial. We don't learn staying power. And if we're not careful, we won't know what it means to be faithful. How do we learn faithfulness? We take what we're working on seriously because what we are working on is working on us. Yeah. I wish I knew this when I was working that job that I hated, right? And I couldn't see any purpose in it. There was so much purpose in it. Why? Because God was using that job to work on me. I'm telling you, I was an assistant manager of event services at the same school that I went to undergrad in. And I was working with college students. They were our our labor force. And I did that for two years and I hated it. I'm not joking. Everybody says this works 60 hour weeks. I did. My my boss told me, he said, hey man, you're not gonna make a lot of money, but you're gonna work a lot of overtime. I was like, oh, great. That sounds awesome. And during those two years, I learned leadership and managerial skills I never would have learned in ministry. (laughs) I would have got chewed up and spit out if I would have went straight to ministry. I would have. And you know what happens after those two years of working with college students? I end up leaving that role and that job in California to make my way to Mississippi for an internship. And on my way, I stopped in Chandler, Arizona. And I met the lead pastor of the Grove Church in Chandler, Arizona, who was the identical twin of another gentleman by the name of Paul Chinchin, who lives here in Mississippi. That's a whole other story for a whole other time. It was crazy. And the lead pastor of that church, the Grove in Chandler, Arizona, he goes, you're going to Mississippi? I was like, yeah. He was like, man, why? (laughs) He was from Mississippi, so he could speak from experience. (laughs) And I was like, man, I'm excited about ministry. I've been working a job that I hated for two years. Like, I'm fired up for ministry. He's like, if you could be doing anything right now, what would you want to be doing? And in my mind, I'm like, I just spent two years working with college students doing a job that I hated. I said, if I could do anything right now, I want to be a lead pastor. No, that probably felt that way, but I would have, it would have killed me. I said, you know what? I, w- I want to be a college pastor. And he said, well, guess what? We're looking for a college pastor can't make this up. He said, you go to Mississippi and you have fun, but we're going to get you back out here for an interview. And I was like, okay, sure. Sure, buddy. We'll see. And flew me back out. And I was a college pastor and a young adult pastor. And what did I just do for the past two years? Worked closely with college students. It was as, as, it was as if God was preparing me for what he had planned for me in that next season. Can you imagine if I wouldn't have taken that role seriously? Take what you're working on seriously because what you're working on is working on you. 
Here is the trap, though, that we can fall into if we're not careful. We can't let what we're working on define us. Some of us are connecting our worth as a human being to our net worth, to our status, to our career, to our performance, to our accolades, to our accomplishments, whatever it is, you name it. And God doesn't care that much about what we're working on. You know what he cares more about? Who we are and who we're becoming. God cares more about who we are and who we're becoming more than anything that we're actually doing. I'm not saying he doesn't care about what we're doing. I'm saying he cares more about who we're becoming and who we are. What we are working on is important because what we're working on is working on us. Amen? Amen. Shepherds were not celebrated people. They weren't. They were disrespected. They weren't admired. Their job was necessary for clothing, for food, for sacrifice. Not the shepherds, the sheep, right? They'd sacrifice the sheep. (laughs) But you know what the shepherds learned in the process of shepherding? They learned hard work. They learned commitment. They learned how to protect and care for those who couldn't protect and care for themselves. They learned probably the most important lesson that anybody could ever learn, and that was humility. They were becoming the type of people that God had in mind to entrust his message to. Why didn't God entrust his message to the people that seemed the most fitting, the religious leaders? Think about that for a second with me. The religious leaders, the pastors at that time, the priests at that time, the people who were closest to God, why didn't God entrust the gospel message to these people? I mean, that makes the most sense, doesn't it? What do you think would have happened if God would have showed up to the religious leaders and had given this good news to the religious leaders? I mean, look at, the, look at how they lived their life in, in throughout the New Testament. I can tell you what they probably would have done. They probably would have manipulated the gospel message for their own selfish gain. They probably would have manipulated the gospel message to look even more important because they have this special information and this special revelation. Why? Because they were constantly caught up in a power struggle. They were constantly thinking about how they were perceived by other people. Not the shepherds. The shepherds weren't trying to maintain power. They were trying to keep a sheep from running off. They weren't trying to look important. The shepherds weren't busy keeping up with the Joneses. The shepherds weren't covered in nice jewelry and nice tassels and fancy cars and extravagant houses where a lot of people think joy is found. No, you, you want to know what the shepherds were covered in? The shepherds were covered in sh- sheep. I mean, it's true. You, you do plan a joke and you're like, all right, is this going to be offensive or are they going to laugh, all right? <laughs> Thank you for laughing. <laughs> but the shepherds were covered in sheep, and this is what I mean. 
I had a wise man once told me when I first got into ministry, he said, hey, every good shepherd smells like his sheep. Every good shepherd smells like their sheep. The shepherds weren't caught up in a power struggle. They weren't trying to look important. They had a heart that was ready to receive the gospel message. God knew he could entrust these people with the good news. And most of us, including myself, we don't think that joy can be found in responsibility. We don't. We don't think joy can accompany faithfulness, but it does. In the midst of being faithful to what God has called us to, just like the shepherds were, they were busy shepherding, we also learn from the shepherds that we also have to be people who, not only are we faithful to what God has called us to, but we have to be people that welcome interruptions. We have to be people that welcome interruptions. Here's what I mean by this. The shepherds were faithful to what God had called them to, but they also weren't so busy that they didn't have time for an interruption. What did they do after the angel came and, and proclaimed the good news? They said, let us go. They said, let's go and see. They weren't like, oh, hey, but God, and I know I sound like a hypocrite, right? You just told us to be faithful to what God has called us to. Now you're telling us to abandon our post. Just trust me, all right? This will make sense. We have to be people that welcome interruptions. And so they left to go and see what it was that God was doing in their midst. And it says that when they returned, they were praising the Lord because it was true. I was getting ready, I was getting ready to have my son. That's what I was gonna say, it's not true at all. My wife was getting ready to have our son and I'm just trying to do whatever I can to help in the process. And I remember being in a coffee shop and I ran into someone I know and we were just a couple months out from his birth and I was talking to him and he's like, man, are you excited? And I said, yeah, I'm so excited. He's like, are you ready? And I said, absolutely not, I'll never be ready. And he's like, no, you won't. And he said, I have one that is 18 and she's getting ready to go to college this year. And he said, let me tell you a story about what happened. And he said, I remember when I was in my early 30s and I was in my career, something, something you guys don't know anything about is what he told me. And he said, my clientele was overseas. And so my hours that I, that I was working, they were from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. is when I had to have the headset on. We didn't have Zoom or any of those fancy FaceTime calls. And he said, I was locked in in my home office. And I remember hearing a knock on the door and I didn't think anything of it. And I'm on the, on the call with these clients. And he said, I hear the knock again. And my daughter, she's five years old, and she comes in with a plate of food, and she says, Daddy, I don't want you to miss dinner, so I brought you a plate of food. And he looked at me, and he said, Nate, I wanted to quit my job yesterday when that happened. And he said, and I didn't quit my job tomorrow. He said, but I told myself, this is going to go by too fast, and I need to make a change. And he said it was about a year later when he finally made a change and he, he had a new career. And he said, but it still goes by so fast. And it's in that moment that I was reminded we need to be people that welcome interruptions. We need to welcome interruptions. Have you ever had a divine appointment in your life? Have you heard of that? Have you ever had a divine appointment? 
Have you ever had something happen in your life and you're, you just, you can't deny the reality that it was God at work in your life? Have you ever had that happen? I hope so. And if you haven't, I'm convinced that divine appointments are experienced most often in divine interruptions. And we don't like interruptions. We don't. If someone tries to interrupt you, your, your natural response is to resent that interruption and then to try to avoid it at all cost. What if in trying to avoid it, you're missing out on God showing up in your life? Divine appointments are often experienced in divine interruptions. We have to care about what God has called us to. We need to learn faithfulness. But what's, more, what's most important is who he has called us to. Who he has called us to. That's where real joy is found. I just wanna give a disclaimer too. Faithfulness isn't about being perfect. It's not. It's about making the right things a priority. That's what faithfulness is about. It's about making the right things a priority. It's not about being perfect. It's not about not failing. So we need to be faithful to what God has called us to because he's working on us. We need to welcome interruptions. And then lastly, we need to let the good news cause great joy. Key word, let. Let the good news cause great joy. Luke chapter two, verse eight through 11, it says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born, the Messiah, the Lord. And so my question to all of us is how does the good news cause great joy in your life today, this morning, right now? How does the good news cause great joy in your life? And I, I said this last week, and there's this, there's this theme. When we have a lack of peace, when we have a lack of joy, if we follow that through, it really comes back to this spirit of fear. And I love that the angel said, don't be afraid. Are you afraid this morning? Are you trying desperately to measure up to those around you, to yourself? Are you so busy trying to make sure that you meet everyone's expectations of who they think that you are supposed to be? Are you busy feeling like a lousy shepherd? You're like, my house isn't in order, my kids don't listen to me, my life is a wreck, I've got stuff going on that I don't wanna tell anyone about, Maybe God needs to interrupt our current reality 
and bring us a divine interruption this morning. Maybe the Lord needs to interrupt our pursuit of perfection this morning as he teaches us what it means to be faithful. And this is what I truly believe in my heart, and this is how I believe the good news causes great joy right now. I think God wants to remind all of us that you don't have to be the perfect mom, that you don't have to be the perfect dad, that you don't have to be the perfect wife, that you don't have to be the perfect husband, that you don't have to be the perfect son, that you don't have to be the perfect daughter, that you're not always going to be the perfect friend and that there is someone who came to meet all of the standards that we never could. There is someone who, who came to fulfill and far exceed every expectation we could ever have on anyone else or ourselves. And I'm convinced that God came into our reality to remind us that we don't have to be perfect because he is. As I just get ready to close, I want us to be reminded, we read the parable and we listen to the song that talks about the shepherd that leaves the 99 for the one. Did you know that any sane shepherd would never leave the 99 for the one. Any ordinary shepherd would never leave the 99 in the open to go look after the one. But guess what? The good shepherd does. Amen. The good shepherd is different. A lot of us live our lives trying to be the good shepherd. We do. We try to maintain order. We try to fulfill expectations. We try to meet our standards and we fail every day. And really, I think we forget that we're all just a bunch of sheep. Isaiah chapter 53, verse six says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, not on you, not on me. He has laid it upon himself, the iniquity of us all. That's good news. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And my favorite, Romans chapter five, verse eight, and God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were wander, while we were astray, while we were still sinners, Christ left the 99, left the comforts of heaven, left the side of his father, God for us. Jesus is both the perfect lamb and the good shepherd so that we wouldn't have to be. So stop trying to be. Please. 
We don't come to church to learn how to be a better person. We don't come and, and open God's word to learn how to have a better life. No, that is not our priority. We come to church and we open God's word and we gather together to behold the lamb, to encounter the good shepherd, to experience the presence of Jesus. Everything else is a byproduct. Everything else is secondary to that. And you know what happens when that happens? We go from being interrupted by joy, from being interrupted by the good news of the gospel, to encountering it, to coming alive, and now we go out into the world and we become a divine interruption, amen? Amen. And we help shake awake those who are asleep and those who have died and we show them this new life. And that is the good news. Jesus is both the perfect lamb and the good shepherd so that we don't have to be. And so I'm gonna pray for you that you would stop trying to be. I pray that that weight falls off you right now in this moment in Jesus' name that you don't have to be. You don't have to be. And you know what comes when you, when you truly, truly believe that? Fear is gone. Love, unconditional love enters in. And then you get to be real and vulnerable about everything that's going on inside you. And you encounter the Prince of Peace and you find joy everlasting. Can I pray for you? God, we come together right now and we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the good news, your gospel that brings with it life and joy and peace and hope. God, remind us, your people, that we do not have to be perfect. We don't have to be the good shepherd. We've already met him and his name is Jesus. So we pray in this moment that you would do what you do best and that you would tend to your flock, that you would care for your sheep, that you know all of them by name. And for the one that feels like they're so far gone and they're so far astray that they could never be welcomed back, remind that one that that is exactly who you came for. There's not fear in your presence, not fear of punishment in your presence. There's unconditional love in your presence, God. And that's because you are good. Even when we fail, even when we don't measure up, you are still good. And because of that, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>